dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Sometimes even the best leaders can forget that in the end, leadership isn't about them. If we're leading our people, it's to lead them to something bigger than ourselves. And sometimes we even have to die to ourselves in order to bring people to what will really be good for them. At Cana in Galilee, the Virgin Mary triggers a series of events that will end in our Lord's crucifixion and death. She hastens the hour of his coming, even though that means that she will have to say goodbye sooner. She teaches us how to lead, even when that means saying goodbye. Hello, everybody. Thanks for coming again to this uh, awesome class we're doing on Our Lady from a whole different angle, right? Like how many people would ever think that you would do a leadership workshop on the Virgin Mary, right? She almost seems like the antithesis of leaders because most people think of her as a very humble figure who led a hidden life and who was unknown. But I want to show you that it's not a matter of whether or not you're known or appreciated on the outside that makes you a leader. It's the influence that you extend by your life. And when it comes to the influence of the Virgin Mary, I think she's one of the most influential people of all time. I mean, second to Jesus, has anyone had a bigger impact on the world? And the reason for that is because she gives us Jesus. Well, this is where there's a great overlap because every Christian is called by God to give Jesus to the world, which means that in a real way, every Christian can learn from the example of the Virgin Mary about how to give Christ wherever they are. This is what's so powerful about looking at her leadership because her leadership is a lot like yours. You are not Jesus. You are not God. You're called to be like an instrument. Right where God does his great things through you and you do your secular things for God. So you're out there doing soccer refereeing and painting, you know, barns and and redoing, you know, the the horse competitions for the kids in the 4-H fair, right? Like you've got all kinds of things that you're doing. And everywhere you're doing that, you want to be more significant than just looking at that from a temporal or worldly point of view. That's why I love Christian leadership, because you don't have to look at what you do from a just a temporal or worldly point of view. You can actually look at it saying that what you do is an extension of God's influence in the world. Now, you can over-exaggerate that. You know, obviously, retirement is a good thing, right? We can, we're all looking forward to the days when we can, we can have an easier, more peaceful existence. And yet, even then, in a peaceful place or in retirement or after you sell the business— if you are truly living as a disciple of Christ, you'll spread his influence through your retirement and in the different associations and places and things that you do. In the end, a Christian is always called to be in the hands of God like an instrument, his specially designed tool to bring the light wherever the light is not found. I remember I used to, when I was a teenager, I did this wonderful program in my hometown of Toledo, Ohio. There was a, a program called Mountain Mentors. 
It's a wonderful program, which is designed to take at-risk youth hiking in the mountains in order through the experience of nature to help them have a, a change of heart and to start getting positive, you know, balance in their lives. And as we were preparing for our trip with these youth, uh, the, the leader led, read a, a poem to us that I've never forgotten. And he basically says that each one of us as the leaders, this was, this was a Christian organization, we're called to reflect the light of God like a mirror. Meaning take the mirror and wherever the sun is shining, the mirror can bend that light into corners and crevices. It can shoot the light into areas of rooms that otherwise are dark. And he says, God uses us like mirrors. He holds us in his hand and then he aims us where he wants to reflect his light into the world. It's a really wonderful little image, but, and I never forgot it. And I think very, it's a very true that in the same way, your secular role as a lay person is to penetrate into the fabric of society and to bring God where God otherwise would not be. As you build up your, the human culture and build up the, the life that's in your families and your relationships with genuine humanity, God uses that in order to then spread his grace. And like a mirror positioned in his hand, he uses you to go into places where otherwise he wouldn't be welcome. From accounting meetings to, to audits to legal troubles, to meetings with employees who are disgruntled, to all kinds of planning and scheming and working that is part of your everyday life. This is God. But how do you do that? How do you let God do that on a consistent basis? That's the goal. That's what we all want to do. And yet it's difficult to keep that vision. That's why looking at the Virgin Mary can be very useful because here you have a human being just like you, a believer just like you who had to let God use her for the most important of all missions while fulfilling what God wanted to do through the simple human secular, if I dare say it, role of motherhood. She lived in Nazareth. She reared her child like anyone else was rearing their children. You know, she, she had social interaction. She belonged to the society in which she lived. She was married to Joseph. So there were social obligations. When Caesar issued his edict, Joseph and Mary went all the way down to Bethlehem to register for the, just like anybody else, right? And yet in all of that that she did, Mary served God. Now the question is, how? So over the past, you know, parts of the series, we've been looking at different ways that we can see lessons that we can learn from leadership by looking at Our Lady. And today I want to focus with you in on a very special moment, which is the wedding feast at Cana. And I want together for us just to look at the power of what Mary did and then the way that she did it in this mystery. So we know the mystery well, right? This is John chapter two, the very first miracle of Jesus Christ. So up until this time, he had been obedient to Mary grow, and Joseph, growing in wisdom and in grace before God and before men. He then went and called his, his first uh, apostles, but he hadn't yet performed a miracle. In John chapter 2, suddenly there's the occasion. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, Cana is not that far from Nazareth. 
And the fact that the way it's written, it almost sounds like Mary was the principal one invited. And then Jesus and his disciples came because of the invitation made to Mary. I mean, who knows? But it's interesting that they really emphasize Jesus's mother was there. And then it mentions Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So the situation, the context is one of joy, celebration, of eating, drinking, of relationships between people and, and people who are related to each other coming together to speak. And it's a feast that lasts over a period of time. It's not just one night like us, we, we, you know, our wedding receptions today. This is something that is extended period of time. And so, of course, we know what happens. They run out of wine. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no wine. And so now the scene is set. And you have, of course, a need in that culture. And in that time, running out of wine would have been a major social blow. It would have diminished the, the glory of the whole wedding feast. Uh, wine is an essential part of what they were doing and what they were celebrating. And to see that they ran out of it, number one, shows you that it was a very good party. <laughs> and then number two, it shows you that the, the wedding hosts might not have been people of enough means to procure enough for all the people who came. And so here you've got an embarrassing situation that was about to unfold. And it's here in a, in a very simple yet profound need that Mary intervenes. And I want to look at that with you more closely because it says a lot about her leadership and it can therefore say a lot to us about our leadership as well. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. There are moments in the gospel of particular importance. I mean, everything is important, of course, but when you're talking about the wedding feast at Cana, you're looking at the very first time that our Lord revealed his glory to his apostles and the first miracle. And then to think that the Virgin Mary was present at the very first miracle and more than present, that it happened upon her request. Well, there's a, a real significance here. There are many people, again, who want to say that, you know, there's only people on the, who are leaders on the outside really count. Leadership is something, you know, that it belongs to only a select few. Not every Christian is called to lead. And they'll want to cite the Virgin Mary as some sort of example of non-leadership, saying, look at her. And I think this, is, this type of example of, of the wedding feast at Cana blows that argument out of the water. The Virgin Mary is the one who takes the initiative here to go towards Jesus, asking him to make an impact. Therefore, something which, which is really a very secular issue. They have no wine. I mean, you could almost imagine if someone was sick or someone was d dying, that that might be, you know, you know warrant Jesus's first miracle. But Mary goes way beyond that. I mean, she's looking at a social embarrassment, number one, but also just at a wedding couple not having wine. You know, the, to celebrate, like uh, almost you'd say this is a trifling scenario. And yet it's here that Jesus displays his power and that Mary displays her influence. She takes two things into consideration. First of all, the objective need that is there. And then secondly, 
the power that Jesus has to meet that need. And Mary bridges that gap. Here she's an incredible icon or symbol, for me anyways, I see it, of what you do as Catholic professionals. You're out there looking at very secular things. Where do we put the sewer line? You know, what color paint do we put on the barn? How much money should we invest in this or that stock portfolio? I mean, these are really secular things. So secular that you'd be tempted to say it doesn't have anything to do with my faith. Well, I guess that's kind of like saying Jesus doesn't have anything to do with wine at a wedding feast, right? And that's exactly the temptation many people would have is to say, Mary, don't bother Jesus with such a trifling thing as wine at a wedding. You know, bother Jesus for important things that are spiritual, like these kids don't know God or something like that. And instead, the very first miracle is done in order to remedy a family problem with something that's a material good. And I think there's a, such a symbolism here to not limit the scope of what Jesus wants to do in our world. It's so funny how we want to tell him where his place is. And he's like, the whole world belongs to me. I'm actually concerned about bridges and about rivers and about flood banks and about civil engineering. I'm actually concerned about the stock market and I'm concerned about, I'm, I'm concerned about all these things because all these things contribute to your welfare. Even wine and a, a positive experience at a wedding. And, and there's our lady defending that. It's almost like she's showing us here that the leadership of a Catholic lay person or a Christian who's involved in the world is important in the eyes of God. That they need to provide for the basic needs of every person on the earth. If we don't have clean water, or if we don't have our woods properly managed, or if we don't have the grass mowed correctly. I mean, something as small as that is landscaping. Landscaping has a lot to do with the health of our world and for the beauty of our daily lives. And all of that matters to God. All of that matters to Mary. And the proof of it is that the very first miracle Jesus does is to change water into wine at a wedding feast to supply for the material need. And there at the heart of it is the Virgin Mary. Always remember this, you guys. You want to take Mary and say she doesn't have anything to do with your life? I don't know. It'd be like saying that wine doesn't have anything to do with the wedding. And just flip that on its head for a second and say, if in fact Mary is concerned with the things like this, like wine at a wedding, and if in fact Jesus does want to show his glory, by multiplying, you know, the, the wine and the joy and, and by taking care of, of a worldly secular need, well, then in fact, I mean, maybe he's very interested in what you're doing every day at the office. And maybe those new benefits that you're rolling out for your employees or that retirement program you're trying to put in place or that email that you're trying to respond to on time or whatever that might be, maybe in fact those things are really important. Maybe that's where Jesus actually wants to manifest his glory in the world. I mean, when you come right down to it, what I'm saying here is that you and your profession can in fact be the vehicle of God's work in the world if you let him. And that you have great reason to let him when you see that the Virgin Mary is concerned. There's a phrase that Pope John Paul II uses when he's talking about the role of the Christian family. And he says, the role of the Christian family, he says, is, is summarized by this. You are to give your children their humanity. 
meaning your focus needs to be to build human beings who are solid and who are open to God. And when you do that, God will then give his grace through you to those humans, right? But the role of a family is, the, is humanity. And then he extends that on and he says, the role of the Catholic layperson, and by extension, of course, all Christians involved in the world, is the world itself to say to the world that God loves it and that it is good in his eyes. And we do that by engaging with everything that we have to give humanity to this world to make it more human. Now, when we do that, of course, in the same way as God blesses the children by parents who rear them to be good and virtuous and solid human beings, in the same way, God will bless and sanctify the world through the workers, workers who are in it, who are perfecting the world by making bridges strong and by making water clean and by making finances flow well and by selling houses at a reasonable rate and for the, in the right way with due honesty. You know, and you can go through the whole list of all the different professions. All of them glorify Christ. And Mary shows us the leadership here, but she takes things just a little bit deeper. It's not just meeting the needs. It's meeting them in a way that's open to all the depth and power of God. And that's what I want to look at with you here. Her intercession here is deeper than just bringing, making water into wine. There's something even more profound. To see that, we need to look at what's deep down in her heart and what she revealed, the Bible reveals to us about what Mary does. She gets out of the way so that Jesus can do exactly what he wants and all that he wants. And in this, there's even another lesson for leadership for all of us. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So again, we're looking here at John chapter 2, the wedding feast at Cana, and the first miracle of Jesus. And we, you know, it says very clearly, when the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. And at that moment, Jesus gives a response that's just not something we would anticipate. He says, woman, what is there between you and me? My hour has not yet come. And in short, it looks like he says no. It looks like he actually says, I'm not going to do this. Because when he says, what is there between you and me? He's using a, a, a phrase that's found elsewhere in scripture. And, and in other, the other places where it's used in scripture, it always means a rebuke, like a, a rebuffing. Like there's nothing between you and me. So I'm going to say no to the request. And, but it can't mean that. Because immediately after he says this to her, verse five, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So he must have been implying by even that kind of rebuff, something deeper. And this is where I want to meditate with you. Because of course we know what happens, right? He, uh, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And then he goes and has them fill them up. That's 120 gallons of water. Just think about that, right? Which then he changes them to wine. So if there's like three bottles of wine per gallon, if not, if you don't want to say four, and there's 120, he made 360 bottles of wine. <laughs> That's quite a bit of wine that he does here. 
So that, that's a lot more than you'd expect from someone who says, woman, what is there between you and me? Well, so then why does he use this phrase? Why doesn't he just say yes? And I think there's something very profound here. Whenever Jesus takes a distance or puts a distance between us and him, it's never to separate us. It's to purify us. And what I mean by that is that Mary has to let go at that moment of everything she had planned. I mean, not totally let go. She still wanted them to have wine. She wanted Jesus to know that. But Jesus wanted to expand the meaning of his action. Instead of just doing a public service to help, in other words, this situation, he wanted to manifest his glory. He, if one day, the man who changed water into wine would change wine into blood. And he knew that if he began this apostolic life by working this miracle now at the behest of his mother, that it would end with him hanging on the cross and Mary's soul pierced through with a sword. God is doing something much more, in other words, than making for a happy wedding celebration. Jesus is doing something much more than changing water into wine here. He's manifesting God. And he's doing a symbol that will be fulfilled when he sends forth the Holy Spirit by shedding his own blood upon the cross. This is not a small matter, in other words. And he wants Mary to be a part of that bigger picture. And I think this is so important because just as we've already said, so what you need to do, each one of you as a professional, is realize the value of your profession in extending the kingdom of God, right? And, and to look at yourself, you know, as, as really having a vocation in God to do what you're doing. But then the second point is just as important. I didn't even say it's more important. And it's that you need to open then what you're doing to the intention that God has behind it, which is a deeper intention by far than just taking care of the world's needs. We need to do it. We want to do it to care for the world's needs, but to care for the world's needs as God cares for the world's needs means that everything that God's doing is going to be so much more marvelous and miraculous and powerful than anything we could do on our own. But there's a purification that happens when you take the obvious desire you have to see something done, like Mary, who sees that they have no wine, and you bring it to Jesus. Because then at that moment, when you bring it to Jesus, you have to open it. You have to let it go, in other words, from just being how you define it and what you can control into letting Jesus define it and letting Jesus control it. At this moment, it's even more marvelous because now our engineering or our teaching or our working with the, with the special needs students of the world, it becomes a conduit for something much more powerful. The love of God. We transform the world as a service to our fellow human beings. And Jesus transforms the world to glorify the Father and to save souls. There's something so profound about this. He literally asks Mary or wants Mary to be attentive to the needs of the secular world. And yet at the same time, he wants Mary to pray and surrender and let God have a thirst for what God wants to do in the world. Mary comes to Jesus kind of looking in a sense for her hour, right? Not in a selfish way, but like she has a task she wants him to accomplish. Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus says, speaks then from that moment 
about his hour. My hour has not yet come. Meaning I'm going to take the same situation, but I want to, to use it for something even greater. This, my friends, is such a positive message that we need to speak to our secular counterparts. People out there today are oftentimes afraid of religion. They, they think that somehow religious people or the act of religion or the presence of the church in our society will limit the efforts or limit the goodness of our society. Like as if the world would be a better place if only the church wasn't in it. And many of us succumb to this way of thinking and we mute ourselves in the workplace and we act like our businesses, you know, need to operate on purely secular terms in order to not offend anybody, right? And we hide our faith. We don't say grace before meals in restaurants. We don't put the image of the sacred heart in our homes. We become secular with the secular and we make religion something purely of the inner spirit because in the end, we, we, well, we don't want to stifle by, by bringing God into things. And I think when we do this, we need to remember that when Jesus was present on the earth, he began with the secular, but he opened the secular into something much more meaningful. God doesn't destroy anything that's good in this world. He perfects it. God doesn't take away anything good from our lives. He perfects it. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly, says Jesus. And that promise, therefore, means that all of the things that we involve God in by folding him into the fabric of our conversations, by the culture of our, of our families and of our camps and everything that we run and that we do, everything where we bring God intentionally is not going to destroy it. Just like water is made into wine, so the realities of our world are made into something marvelous. And Mary shows us this kind of leadership. She, she brings the need to Jesus and she lets Jesus do everything he wants to with it. Notice how open-ended her response to him is. Do whatever he tells you. Allow Jesus, in other words, to transform the situation. He will not only meet the need, but he'll do it in a marvelous way, a way deeper and greater than anything we could imagine. And I know a lot of you are looking for purpose in your work life. You're, you're wondering how your professional life could, could be rendered more purposeful and, and what your legacy really is going to be. And my, my, my word to all of you is to bring it to Jesus. Bring what you do every day to Jesus. Stand before him like Our Lady, poor in spirit with open hands and open heart, and then do what he tells you. He will take what we want to a whole new level. Mary leads us in that. She brings the whole world to Christ, and then she lets Christ lay hold of the whole world. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org and visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.